Welcome to Fright Night. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Wolfman's got Mars. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. You're listening to the Jersey Quills. Hey, everybody. What's up? Pretty women. <laughs> That's my go-to. That's my go-to now. That's your, you're doubling down on that one. I'm doubling. I, I doubling. just wanted to score some cow. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. And welcome. <laughs> welcome to another episode with the Jersey Ghouls. That's right. And tonight, this is an episode, dare I say, I've been having dirty dreams about for months now. Because not only are we, of course, joined by Zach, but we have a very special guest tonight. Tonight, we are going to be talking about Hellraiser. And when we decided to do the Hellraiser episode, we thought, who who could we bring on? Who could it possibly, you know, help us bring all aspects of the movie from sound to light to design to everything we thought about one dude, and it was our friend. And if you've been to a convention, your no. friend too. <laughs> Joshua does cosplay is here with us tonight. Woo! Thank you. Thank you. Oh. That, that, is, that is probably the kindest introduction. I got, like last time somebody <laughs> spoke that fondly of me were probably my wedding vows. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate oh my gosh. that. So, so Josh, we got the honor to first meet you when you were in costume, and then we had an even bigger privilege in getting to know you behind the mask, if you will. And we got to say that we are so very, very thrilled to have you on, to not only wax on with us about cosplay and all the cool shit you do, but also to just talk about a horror movie that we all fucking love. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like, you guys caught me whenever I had debuted Frank. Um, that was pop rock and horror, just because yeah. Scott Hewitt is like, huge for me like the dude's like family oh, so i'm like okay if i'm gonna debut a character i need to make it something huge honestly i wasn't expecting the pop that it got then and going forward simply because for me it's just like oh i'm just this really creepy misogynistic asshole so okay <laughs> cool this I is either that. gonna go over one of two ways i'm either going to get like physically assaulted by somebody's boyfriend or I'm just going to be like drowning in it you know and um lit the craziest thing about that character is literally I won't even be like talking to somebody and I'll have to I at least five times I've had strangers grab my testicles through my pants (laughs) guilty Um, (laughs) I, I have had some insanely crude things and room numbers included in with those sentences it might have been the Jersey Thrown Girls. Thrown together. <laughs> hey, it, it, it's all good. It's well, all good. But it was definitely mine. That, it's crazy because for me, the whole aspect of everything with cosplaying is I take the acting part really seriously because otherwise you're fucking trick-or-treating, right? So for me, it's one of those things that I try to push forward the acting perspective because I want it to be the closest experience that you have to seeing this character come out of the screen and walk past you in a room like that that's my number one objective with things and And it brings out the crazy in people uncle frank is (laughs) and it's 
I have to say, I'm, I'm very sad to announce it. I'm just going to announce it on my Instagram page at some point. But Uncle Frank is actually retired. <gasps> I had the pleasure of meeting you. I, I Actually, I saw you first at Pop Rock and or as Uncle Frank, and I was blown away. I'm like, this guy, is, this is the best fucking thing I, I've seen. And then you came on to me as Chatterface, which made it even better. Mm -hmm. So now I know that your jaw moves perfectly. Now I'm turned on. <laughs> okay. but, 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 like, but, but that was the best thing is that if you looked on and I love looking at hashtags of, of uh, these events and every one of them, man, had you mm -hmm. as Uncle Frank. You were on every photo with that hashtag, dude. You, yeah. you stole the show. And I loved well, it. It was fantastic. Well, that that's that's the crazy part about doing this stuff is I have this thing where September going into October in a six week period, I had four cons and both of them were back to back sets. So it's like, OK, con one weekend in one city and then like, OK, I'm going to be in Cherry Hill and then I'm going to be in Gettysburg the following weekend and then Hunt Valley and then like Atlantic City. And fuck Atlantic City. Um, <laughs> sorry, like I'm, I'm on a, I agree. A, a, a podcast with the title Jersey in it, and I'm saying mm -hmm. fuck Atlantic City. Um, hopefully, it's okay. a general. Hope you guys all um, enjoyed his life. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, so my entire thing is I try to make it a point, no matter how spread out they are or how close they are, I debut a new character at every single show. And with me wow. with the acting coming into it, that that was a mental stretch. Like I came home after all of that was done. And keep in mind, about halfway through it, I found out my wife was pregnant. Wow. So oh. I, I, I am like thrilled. And the last thing I want to be at that point is it's somebody right. else. I want to be Joshua. I want to be in the moment. But I'm trying to figure out voice inflections of a Tim Curry Pennywise. And it's like, what, what is my life right now? So I debuted, I debuted in that six week period, four different characters. I did Dr. Decker from Nightbreed, oh, Pennywise, uh, the real Pennywise, not the bullshit new one. Um, that's, oh, not that's, a clown. that's not a clown. Um, and then I did two different killer clowns from outer space oh, just because like you have to do killer clowns from outer space, which is phenomenal um, work. Love quick, it. Uh, quick fun plug for my page because I do contests all that, the time. Yeah. Um, so I actually gave away the shorty cosplay like in its entirety, like head to toe, mask, costume, custom built collar, everything. Um, yeah, so it, it's one of those things that if I'm retiring something and it's like at least like close to a thousand dollars or more set up, I'm selling that shit. <laughs> like I'm, I'm recouping some funds. Uh, whenever it's something that you know I'm, I've had the pleasure of working with people and they've hooked me up through different you know channels, etc. It's one of those things like I, I just feel as if it's like good karma. Just like okay, I got the majority of this costume. It took me my time, maybe. $15 and then like the $20 to ship it. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hook up somebody. Why not? <laughs> and so that's if you crazy. like free horror shit, go to my page. Okay. Uh, I was going to say my, one of my favorite stories is how you've mentioned that we met you uh, at Pop Rock and Horror when you were dressed as Uncle Frank. 
But that's really not the first time that that's we right. ever met you because no. <laughs> what was it? It was Monster Mania Hunt Valley, Art. Yeah. October of last year. You were dressed as Art the Clown, and you know very smartly. You have your business cards that say, you know, if you, you know, take a picture with me, please tag Joshua Does Cosplay on Instagram. So Marissa and I took pictures, and rightfully so, we were thought it was amazing costume. Uh, we had just seen Terrifier. I know that I very much enjoyed it. I know that I was alone in enjoying it, but I very much enjoyed it. But still, <laughs> your cosplay was fantastic. We tag you the whole nine. We come to Pop Rock and Horror. You come down as Frank, and... Oof. No, actually, first you were I know, right? <laughs> and you, I was you. I think you handed me a card or something. I forget how it came up, and I was like, "Oh, Joshua does cosplay." And like you, kind of were gesturing your leg. And and the bottom line was the chatterer. You can't speak, so you have no way of communicating to me. Um, but what was cool is you came back down and you found us and you introduced yourself and. We got to talking, and the friendship from there just absolutely blossomed, which I love. So it's funny to look back on those pictures from Hunt Valley when we didn't know you. We had no idea what you looked like, who you were. We just saw this really awesome Art the Clown cosplay, and we knew, you know, I think we hashtagged it, and we tagged Joshua Does Cosplay. Yeah. Well, no, the funny thing about that convention was it was my first time, like, actually full-blown cosplaying. Literally, I entered the costume contest, and the friend who got me to come out to it was like, oh, dude, you got to enter the costume contest. And I'm like, you know, Steve, like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, okay, whatever category is, like, I'm closest to, because I'm, I'm way too fucking hammered to be in a costume at this point, <laughs> which little did I know would become my cosplay career. I'm thinking, I have no idea what to expect. I've never even been in the fucking room that they're holding this in. They have us in line waiting through like a kitchen. And mm. I walk out and everyone in the room starts chanting art. <laughs> and I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, is this, is this what every cosplay and convention is like? Like, this is fucking badass. <laughs> like, so I, I go out and do that. And apparently I was like, one of the biggest fucking like attractions yeah. at that fucking weekend. But the thing that was absolutely crazy to me was that um, I had been looking it up and I had been trying to get that character down. Like I, I was spending 15, 20 minutes a night, every night for like two months, figuring out how to wave with my right hand because like I wanted it to look really fucking dead on. You also you also have the honor of being my my daughters, both of them, their very first convention, very first picture, very first experience at a con. Yes. Um, and like I just wish I could like you at least for me have been such a like an induction into this world because like even like the way you are so thoroughly in character and all of that kind of stuff just to me is so fascinating. So if you wouldn't mind, do you mind if we ask you a few questions about the cosplay world? Because it's something that interests us all. Uh, by all means. Josh, what came first really? Was it the inspiration or the love? Like, were you a fan before the movies of the cosplay that you were acting? Or, you know, because of the like films harness your uh, artistic ways of actually adopting these characters? I know that's a so, long-winded question, too. So, no, but I'll, I'll give it to you in the shortest answer possible. And then, like, five minutes later, Jackie's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, God, so, <laughs> so, basically, I will only do characters that I have a personal connection with. Um, 
I grew up primarily, I've spent a lot of time in Indiana, my father and my stepmother. Um, my stepmother worked at a video store. And we got to basically, if she was opening the next day, she mainly worked open to closes. If she was opening the next day, which was most days, we could, whenever we went to pick her up, we could pick out a few movies because no one's going to know they're fucking gone, right? <laughs> so that and my biological mother, um, she was a big horror fan. So she let us watch horror films. Like I, if I were to listen to Doggy Style by Snoop Dogg, I would have got my ass beat. But I could watch any <laughs> any horror film whatsoever you could think of so i've i literally i have watched thousands and thousands of really good and really just terrible fucking horror films um <laughs> for instance i downloaded last night um and i got a uh dmca notice about it too i was oh, like because you know you're really pulling a lot of money off of the four seasons of Tales from the Dark Side. Um, <laughs> you know. Oh man, you, had to you know what I mean? They really need that money, dude. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> show me, show me where I can actually buy that, and yeah. I, I will buy F, it. Otherwise, it is like, at Fye for nineteen ninety nine. I bought it this year. <laughs> he did. He did. So um, <laughs> you know, I, I basically I'll only do characters that I actually really enjoy um it it was a long time coming for me to do a lead character uh i just recently did pennywise the original pennywise <laughs> and that was really difficult for me because like the common theme that i have is either the character is fairly unknown at that point and a lead character such as art the clown uh or it's a matter of it, it's a it's a side based character, right? So mm -hmm. like whenever you watch Nightbreed, while most people remember, you know, Doctor Decker over Boom, um, you know, or sure. any other Kinski or any other you know side person, most people don't even think about the fact that Doug Bradley had a really significant role in that film. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, I I gotta keep it on the whole Clive Barker, you know. Yeah, uh, of course. But of course. yeah, so it's one of those things that it's like okay, you know, Chatterer, Frank, etc. Well, Frank should actually be the between frank and julia like whenever i look at hellraiser in totality i look at it as like this really fucked up rapey love connection mm -hmm. like that's that's the story to me yeah um but most people oh hellraiser pinhead you know so it's like okay if i'm gonna do a cenobite i want to do a cenobite that isn't pinhead because here's the hard part about doing a lead character people expect a lot Mm. very true yeah and whenever you are that tuned into okay i need to be able to have the acting i need to be able to have all oh, the solid you know it needs to be good you know how hard it is to do a pinhead voice doug bradley can't do a fucking pinhead voice <laughs> <laughs> i initially started going out to these cons doing this stuff and i was on the tail end of like oh hey i kind of took myself off of shit tons of anxiety medication that I've been on for years and years and years. So for me, something like Art the Clown, Chatterer, etc., is fantastic because I get to throw myself into a panic attack where I can't speak. I don't have to worry about answering questions. If I don't yeah. want to talk to you, I don't seem like a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> it works out fantastic. So yeah, again, long story short, it's, it's a matter of 
I will only do characters that I feel a personal connection with. Um, so one other thing, if you don't mind, that I wanted to kind of pick your brain on is I know a lot of our listeners and fans are people who are either A, just getting into this game, or B, maybe don't have the expertise and skill levels that you have. What are like your big, like, here's the things you absolutely need to do to get to that level of cosplay? Because in my opinion, you do have, you're, like you're in a tier that is not, the average cosplay tier like you know what i mean so how do you how would you advise people to be like here's how you get into the game um for 12 to 18 months put aside 20 percent of all of the money that you earn <laughs> wow. um, and 50 percent of the money outside of that that you would have spent on fun shit sit alone in the dark at night drink a lot of scotch and read, 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 read. <laughs> that part spend down. that money on materials. And whenever you spend that money on materials, be ready to waste ninety nine percent of it. nothing against people that buy every little bit of their everything, right? Like it is what it is. If you're playing the part correctly, my number one pet peeve in the entire world, and it happens at every convention. If you've ever been to a horror convention, you've seen this. I guarantee you. All right, here's the scene. You're walking through hotel lobby you see where all the vendors are at you see where the outside's at you're like oh should i go outside and party or should i walk through this area and maybe see some people maybe go buy some shit you walk past a guy dressed as michael myers and he's having a fucking conversation with somebody <laughs> but yeah basically if you want to get into cosplay like i mean granted i have light acting background mainly modeling uh. So I know how to like hold my body in particular ways, yeah. most of which mm. is just like positioning of hips, which is a duel of like people taking photos of me in my underwear, both like professionally and from Craigslist. If you don't have that, like only pick a character that like, you don't want to fuck up because if you fuck it up, you're disservicing something that you really care about. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's, most people, they want to go to conventions and they want to trick or treat. And that's fine. It's just somebody like me, if I walk past you, I'm not taking you fucking seriously. I don't care how good your costume is, how rare your mask is, how good of a job you're doing. It's one of those things that it's like, I, I won't even, I won't even follow you back on Instagram. Just do mm -hmm. you. Like, if, yeah. if you really care about a character, you're not going to fuck them up. All right, you silly fuckers. We need to start talking about Hellraiser. We do. Okay. Oh, and I was going to say, we, we've talked a ton um, about the cosplay. And I, I'm tempted to say that we'll throw up a couple of uh, the pictures of, of Oh, my gosh. Josh. But you know what? I'm going to implore everyone listening, just go on Instagram, at Joshua Does Cosplay. Check out all of his pictures like he says he runs contests constantly and you know how to win those contests it's super easy because it's usually just something like you know fill a comment the hashtag or what was the one you did take a picture in front of your open fridge you know it's like these are <laughs> contests. <laughs> um, and like, yeah, said, like he gives away awesome shit so again we implore you you know at joshua does cosplay on instagram please go check him out all right, so now we are going to do what we do, which is dive into 1987? Yep. Yeah, 87. Okay, 1987's Hellraiser. Well, I can tell you this. Clive Barker, up until about 10 years ago, he could have got it. 
he could have got it. Oh, Clark for Barton's sure. Fucking sexy as shit. For sure. The entire cast was sexy as shit. Uh, that's where I disagree with you. If you notice in every Clyde Barker movie, I swear to God, hey, I love Barker. He finds the hottest men, but dear God, I know that he's gay, but he cannot find an attractive woman for the starring role to dude, save dude, his no, life. No, 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 no. I, I will say, Julia's ugly in this. For Stop like it. A thousand times. <laughs> Ashley Lawrence. Ashley Lawrence. Ashley Lawrence is hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Julia, we're, we're like, 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 we're supposed to buy the fact that Frank. That doesn't really lust after her, but it's more like, uh, well, I'm gonna do it because you're my brother's girl, and nothing gets me more right. off than the danger, which I get, I get. But then well, even in Nightmare, yeah. he writes women very fucking hot, like in Hellbound Heart yeah. and everything like that, especially Cabal, which again is Nightbreed, very sexual, very good. But mm -hmm. the movies, he finds the the girl who, what's her face that plays uh, Shane, I, I, Claire I, Higgins? God. God damn it, I knew it. There you go. Yeah. She was she reminded me of the old uh, teacher from Kindergarten Cop? I don't know. She looked ugly. I, <laughs> I can't. Oh. Not attract. No, teachers oh. are hot. Present <laughs> company included. Yeah. But still. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, no. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> no, I I agree with you. I think I, I think that's fair actually. But I also think that he himself. You're right, he writes women well, maybe doesn't cast them well. Julia, to me, has a little bit of that, like, mom vibe going on. Is yes. that fair? But, but, but also, do you really need, like, a supermodel look? No. no, no I don't no, want no. a supermodel That there. is going to, like, face, she's basically going to what appears to be a hotel bar <laughs> during <laughs> the game time. Like, seriously, do you really need to be that fucking hot no, to pick up a fucking businessman? Like, and a 40-something-year-old I... businessman at a hotel bar at, like, 1.30 p.m. on a Tuesday? You don't. And you know how I know you don't is because like, if, God forbid, I had to pick up guys to bring back to the house to kill, that's exactly where I would go. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to go to a Marriott. If you go to the Applebee's, you'll find them there, too. The bar exactly. at Applebee's. Yeah. TGI Friday's. The first line yeah. of dialogue to Applebee's, they just look over at you and they're just like, hey, 10 hours till half off appetizers. <laughs> and like, you know what's good. A, they're going to either come in 30 seconds, but. I'm getting I, some I, fucking I'll wings out of that, right I'll there. tell you what. Um, <laughs> I want some Mozzie sticks. Give me the Mozzie sticks like, first. Oh! Then, then we'll go back to my house and I'll kill you. But I, you got to buy me Mozzie sticks. It's uh, worth it, man. If I'm going to die in Jackie's red David Lynch room <laughs> over there, dear God. Feed me some the mozzarella whole room sticks. isn't red. Just the one wall is red. <laughs> it's her red room. It's cool. And it's every businessman called, called an accent wall asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank accent you. Accent room. Listen, the rest of the accent. room is blue gray. Hardback <laughs> mm, got me sassy. <laughs> <laughs> but I love how every businessman looked like a Phil Collins stunt double. Like, they thought that was horrible. No, I I I actually made a note that says round two for Frank, kind of glad this guy died. <laughs> Terrible fucking fashion choices. Learn to tie a tie properly and you won't fucking die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was the, the most half-ass fucking Windsor in like the skinny, <laughs> like he got like a guy from like the little boy section in fucking Goodwill and didn't know how to do a Windsor. Jesus Christ, that is the first fucking knot you learn how to tie. Preach, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> the fucker doesn't know how to tie a tie! Fuck 
fucking deserves you know what? Some what people, yeah, yeah, some people just deserve to die. Some yeah. people just deserve oh, to God. die. That's why I have clip-ons. I don't want to get killed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll teach you, and we'll make it a moment, kind of like uh, Swayze and Demi Moore and Ghost. Oh, you know what? I, I'm telling I look, you what. That's yes. that's one thing I've always wanted to do. Like there, to me, like that image of like, you know, a, a woman tying her man's tie on him and doing the whole like knot thing, like in the tuck it under and you bring it around. You never and done that. Through, and I've never done that. I've never hmm. tied somebody's you can tie, a tie, tie on me later. Life. Doing it okay. Friday night. We got plans. Done. Yeah. <laughs> I think that I think that's like such a sexy thing to like tie his tie for him i don't know that's cute i like it, that it looks well, like i want to learn Jack, too yeah jackie wants to tie the tie and watch her man shave i hope everybody's I taking know. notes on these past couple of episodes <laughs> no don't take notes because i i have that man i Ew. i'm not looking i'm not looking she's not the looking. chad, um, <laughs> chad. so okay so clive barker i think very famously an openly out uh writer and director one of the things that caught my eye in doing research on him was the lawsuit against him uh, a few years ago from an ex-lover who 16 years after they broke up literally sued him and said that he gave him AIDS and like sabotaged his life maliciously. Also said things like uh, that he uh, accused him of having like incestual relationships with family members and like a lot of shit went down in that lawsuit that I think was it was fair to say was everybody who supported his progression of queer theory uh was like cringing at and hoping none of this was true well none of, none of that none of it was true dude, dude, dude was hard up for money dude was hard up for i money. agree i agree um the lawsuit never went anywhere and the guy actually lost and fuck that guy i think it was a perfect example of someone just being hard up and trying to get something out of him but i think it's it's impossible to separate him as an artist from him and his life because of how he's become such an icon for for cinema uh, theory. Because, well, for uh, me, I've never noticed this, but ever since high school, all of my favorite authors are homosexual males. My, most of my top five, besides, okay. you know, uh, uh, Hornby, of course, but like Clyde Barker, mm. Freddie Stanellis, Chuck Palahniuk. Indian <laughs> style, and like my leg was falling asleep. Try not to laugh I'm at like, all. First of all, it's crisscross uh, Criss applesauce. Crisscross <laughs> fuck your sauce. Dude, I thought that you were Sharon stoning me right now, man. <laughs> no, like, I, all right. I, 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 just have, I just have to say that Zach, and you're like five years away from being like a power bottom turn switch. Um, I'm just saying. And honestly, whenever you, say you switch, years, I say five whenever minutes. you switch, I'll be there for you, honey. Oh, Please, you, you I will be man. there for you. Hey, you have great lips. I remember that night. <laughs> uh, gonna oh, bonfire. That, yeah, that is for a separate podcast that has like, hey, Luther Vandross in the background. Yeah. That's <laughs> cool. after dark. Oh my God, let's make it happen. So again, with with this and Clive Barker totally got it I feel like they know masculinity and like alpha males so much better than like stereotypical alpha, like alpha males they know what makes them makes them tick makes them go off because I don't know I guess who they find sexy are those classic 50s 60s actors who were who had that style so that's what I actually loved about reading about them is that you get more of a good male dominated story in a way that's not too over sex sexualized via a homosexual writer interesting 
Well, and also, like, in Hellraiser alone, um, and there's a very small population of people that will understand this, but out of the men that Julia brings back, you're basically, like, it, it's a foreshadowing of, like, dudes that you meet for anonymous hookups in the gay community from grinder craigslist mm, um interesting uh, no it, it, it's crazy because you have like the dude that's like oh i don't normally do these sorts of things i get lonely and then you get the dude that like seems like super chill and then he's like about to beat the fucking shit out of julia and then he's like yeah. oh i'm sorry and he's like trying to be apologetic like literally i have met every single one of those men before <laughs> so like the differential between watching hellraiser at like 13 at 20 at 30 and now 34 it's basically like it, it's crazy because like yeah like i wasn't in the gay scene whenever i was 18 months old whenever this film came out um <laughs> but it's literally still to this day like if i were to go back on grinder right now and i were to get like three like random hookup situations it would literally be the three fucking men that Julia brought home. Damn, that's fucking depressing. <laughs> it's weird. It's so weird. Um, no, I think you're right. And I think that that's why I get so pissed at so many of the, this film is a fucking cautionary tale bullshit readings of this film. Because I don't think this film, I don't read this film as a condemnation of like S&M or even any sort of deviant lifestyles. I think Clive Barker would be the last person in the fucking universe to condemn any of that shit. And it pissed me off that so many people used it as a tool for that. And like, even the people who read to this day, read into it as like, oh, look at this snapshot of how scared people were of like pleasure leading to AIDS. Like, fuck you, man, you're missing the point here, you know? Well, I mean, people in general are, they, they, they look for the dumbest shit. Like they, <laughs> they, see, they see a bunch of like, tight black leather and chains and they're like oh that's what i think bdsm is and it's like okay go to a sex club or actually have watch somebody get whipped like if you have never watched somebody get whipped for fucking pleasure oh it's beautiful it is so beautiful oh Jack, yeah that's, put that well, on our to-do list for friday night kind well, of. We, well like we did do video drums so yeah we saw that already yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding um, no, I agree. I think, I think it's, it's a scene you don't get to comment on if you've never experienced firsthand or don't understand. But, but, but like, but the whole leather and BDSM, should we give it all to the Hellbound Heart right there? Or should we just give it to the Wachowskis and the Matrix for bringing it to light? I'm just saying <laughs> they did a better job. <laughs> we can, we can jump to, you know, the beginning with, you know, Frank and Julia, wherever you guys want to go. I'd like to, go ahead. I want to hear more from Jackie. I want to hear Jackie's thoughts. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, me too. Okay. Here's my thoughts. So, okay, I want to get your take on it, honestly, because I was doing a little research. I put my Marissa pants on, and I was doing research, and I was finding a lot of stuff. Uh, so uh, talking a lot about Frank and Julia, and, you know, there's a lot of the, you know, like their – their sex scene, their their sexual encounter that that they have right before the wedding. Oh hell um, yeah, yeah. Was like it was it was rapey, but it wasn't rapey. You okay, know, obviously she consented to it, so it wasn't. But like I think it was just 
I mean, that's some kind of forceful shit that maybe she wasn't prepared for that I don't think the audience was prepared to see. She consented later. She consented after the fact. That that was rape. That was straight up The way it was written, the way it was projected on film. She literally, through that instant, she went through in that sexual encounter, the way it's portrayed on film at least, right? Literally in that segment of her going through and like reminiscing on it, she literally went through every stage of grief throughout that entire sexual encounter that by the time it was done, she couldn't see herself existing without him. And that's like the ultimate sign of trauma. Hmm, I like that. That's like hmm. the ultimate sign of trauma because like it's not until like somebody abuses you and if they do it in a persuasive enough way, like you don't want to say anything. You actually feel bad for them enough to the point that you want to help them, which then it proceeded through her remembering, you know, the, the end wording anything enough to the point that she's willing to murder fucking 1 30 p.m mozzarella stick <laughs> high friday <laughs> in order to fuck and she's not like some of them she's not fully murdering she's just like getting them there because frank has enough strength but like you're willing to hit a motherfucker with a haymaker twice with a hammer in your hand like that is telltale sign of somebody that's been abused so I, I have a love-hate relationship with Julia um, because generally, and, and listeners of our show will know that I am one that will always tend to root for the villain. I like when the bad guys win. I love my villains. Um, and so she is, you know, an obvious villain. And I say that and then I step back because she's also a pawn. She's being used. And, you know, she's... It's it's one of those women that just I think personifies is that the right word personifies the yeah. idea that women want to be treated you know poorly women want an asshole to treat them poorly so Frank's rebirth from the goo you know oh, it's so um, the best so scene. it is it, it visually it is beautiful but I do have a bit of a problem with i guess the the storyline of it because if you haven't read the novel which again the novel written by clive barker the movie written and directed by clive barker so he's the one that made these changes and i also do understand that there are censors and there are people that tell him that he has to edit stuff out but the rebirth in the novella hellbound heart makes so much more sense because in the very beginning when Frank opens the box and the Cenobites come, he is like basically all of his senses are heightened to the point where he just has this like insane orgasm. And oh, he, yes, he, he, he comes all over the attic floor. So mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the novella, when I blood is up. mixed out, when blood is mixed with the sperm, that is the trigger for Frank's rebirth. So I don't know if it's supposed to be implied in the movie, but it just makes so much more sense that that's how he would come back. That 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 in the book, Rory's blood mixes with his sperm 
and then he's able to find that gateway back to our world that really isn't in in the movie it's just he's there you know what i mean like he's just there's blood on the ground and now here comes frank it's like 32 year differential though Seriously, at this and this day and age, you could show him just getting a fat nut all over an <laughs> attic floor. Not only that, his fucking grandma's abandoned house, like just getting a nut, whatever. Like you could show that in theaters, and people would be like, "This is very much like The Conjuring. I enjoy this." You know, uh, but you know, you would get these bullshit critics to agree with it. But like yeah. 1987. They were still, with the way it was pushed out, they were still kind of like, what the fuck? Like, I don't know if you should release this without it being, he had to keep cutting shit so they want to make it NC-17. If they made it NC-17, none of us would be sitting here talking about it right now because it wouldn't have been fucking, it wouldn't have been also, the turnaround, I mean, Hellbound Heart came out in 86. This movie comes out in 87. So there is not a lot of time in between the two. You know, I think it's a matter of pushing it out. I think it's a matter of the critics. I think it's a matter of censorship. I, you know, but again, visually, the important part, the most important part is visually when those two little, you know, fucking spinities come out of the attic floor and then they crunch over and it's arms pushing out. Visually, that is Mm. some of my favorite fucking shit. It's so fucking rad. It is that is one of the most iconic fucking scenes ever to me. Like, that—that that is the reason why I kind of just, that is something that's always stuck with me. With his rebirth, like, it's crazy because watching it in, like, late 20s, early 30s, being, you know, more worldly, quote-unquote, um, I've always noticed, like, the usage of rats. Clive Barker was using so many signs of animal spiritualism that it's absolutely insane. Like, throughout the entire film. Because, like, if you're having dreams, right, or if you're, like, you're in the process of, like, deep meditation, and, like, you see um, right after, you know, Frank dies through essentially like you don't see it but it cuts from like okay hooks coming out of the box you know that frank's getting his shit fucked up and that shows the house you see a cockroach so like the cockroach is just crawling around and it's like it it was very important to him to like show this shot of the cockroach and that's like a general sign of rebirth and Mm -hmm. you start seeing things with like all of you know like the rats and all of that. And it's just something that's absolutely crazy because like that, the sounds of babies crying, it's all of these signs that like, if you witness these things in dreams, they mean certain things. And they're all telltale to like, what's about to happen in the film. Like that's part of the reason to me why, why Hellraiser is just so fucking brilliant. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I never, I never thought of that. I think the closest I came to is like when you like the rats are like the bringer of the plague. So like we always would see the rats before the Cenobites came out. 
I actually really appreciate that theory because I spent a lot of time trying to make heads or tails of Kirstie's dream with the baby crying and all the blood and everything. And I think that actually makes a lot of sense. I really like that. I kind of want to like chew on it a little more. I also think this lends itself well to kind of shifting to our next topic. And Jackie, I'm going to again pass the ball over to you because I want to talk a little bit about religion and its representation in this book and film. I mean, it, religious symbolism, religious artifacts, religious, I mean, it's, it's all over. It, in this movie, it is, it is all over. The grandmother's house has actually, like, the one that, like, there's, like, there, I don't know if it was, like, a desecrated Virgin Mary or if that was just a creepy religious statue uh, in one of the rooms. Um, but the big thing for me was was at the very end um, when, you know, Frank is in Larry's skin. And he gives the, what I found out was an ad-libbed line of Jesus wept. Um, <clears throat> so uh, that always struck me. I, I love that line. I love that that's the last line that he says before he's torn apart. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, is that like really from the Bible? Is that really a thing? And it, it turns out that it is. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, John 11:35. And it comes in the middle of the Lazarus resurrection story, um, which part of me wants to be like, oh, well, you know, they're just being clever because of the whole thing about like resurrection. So they, you know, they were hoping for sequels and we knew that this, this kind of, this, this, this problem was going to come back time and time again. We were going to resurrect the Cenobites. Um, but I don't know if they were being that clever uh, when it comes to that. I also found out that Jesus wept in certain parts of the UK is uh, it's an expletive. It's, it's a, a way to say fuck you to people. Um, so I don't know. I don't know in which way that they were going with that, whether it was really trying to be some sort of religious symbolism or if it was like, fuck you. I think it's that one actually, because in the script, he's Frank is supposed to say, fuck you. Yeah. But yeah. but yeah, but but then the actor said Jesus wept instead. And because of that, that just nails yeah. <laughs> nails it in the head. Wow, bad, bad pun. Thank oh, you so much. Yeah. I did oh, not yeah. plan and for it's that. The way he says it. It's the way that he's not like and I think that's that's what I like about it. It's you know, if it was fuck you, then it would most likely be like fuck you. But the way that like he's just looking at her and it's all kind of slow and drawn out and it's Jesus. So by saying fuck yeah. you essentially what Clive Barker is trying to do in that point at least mm -hmm. from just like general standpoint is like hey he wants to m market this potentially to an American market they should have just cut to black from there because I mm -hmm. didn't need to see a fucking I go to house shows in a college town fucking hipster burning himself to death for the box turning into a dragon before it was cool and then you know just fucking flying away so that he can you know make it to the nearest Bernie Sanders rally <laughs> yeah what was that supposed to be at the end Love when they're walking through what I have you know the land of fire is that supposed to be the remnants of the house that was on fire or is this just was? part of town that's on fire out of town that, there, there was no ash there was no ash on the ground they were walking yeah. on fucking dirt 
and the chair from the attic was on fire. The chair from the attic was on fire, but there was no ash underneath it. And I'm thinking, dude, seriously, I understand you didn't have the budget to burn down that fucking house. I get that. Yeah, and yeah. I'm cool with that. And it, it's fine. The average person is going to look at it and be like, oh, wow, they're, they're in the remnants of that house. Like, you know, I'm really glad they made it out. It has never stood well with me. Yeah, I also don't understand why at the end, uh, Christy gets into a slap fight with the big monster. I enjoyed that a lot. That's that, like, a the, weird that, looking monster too. That big, yeah, and they just come out and they just, they kind of have a little slap fight for the box. That is such a funny scene because it's like you're battling a penis. <laughs> I, yes. can't, I can't tell you how many times <laughs> I have had a slap fight with the penis for the box. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just saying. So I want to bring it all. around. It goes both ways. Yeah. yeah, I want to bring it around to, I guess the uh, the unintentional star uh, of the, the, what becomes the whole series. Let's talk about Pinhead himself. Uh, well, actually, in the book, he questions Frank questions kind of all of the genders. Some of them, I think physically look a little bit more female than male but there are others where like he talks about he doesn't know and and, you know pinhead's voice which he is not called pinhead not in the book and not in the first movie um they just talk about how he has this what is it like the light uh, like a light airy voice i think is how they described that character like a lead a lead cenobite you know they describe you know, the head being etched into squares. They describe, you know, at every cross point has the pins, but nothing, like nothing in particular said. And then in the movie, they don't call him Pinhead. He becomes the face of, of the Hellraiser franchise. I mean, I read that he wasn't supposed to be on the cover art for the box, but I think Frank was just too, too uh, NC-17 to be put on on the box without the skin and all that, so... So Doug Bradley, who had the choice of being the lead Cenobite or one of the mattress movers, he made the right choice. But additionally, test audiences. Everyone was like, oh, Penhead's such a fucking badass. Like, and I'm glad they did. I'm really glad they did. Because like, as much as I love Frank, like I have portrayed Frank a lot, that would have been a shitty fucking series if it would have been, you know, Frank. Well, because it came out during the heyday of slashers needing that lead role. You know, you got Jason, you got Michael, you got Freddy, you got Chucky, Pinhead. You needed that. Who is the, you know, it's kind of like a band. Who is the lead singer of this fucking movie? Oh, it's Pinhead. Okay, there you go. So thank you, yeah. Doug. You're amazing. He did the thing. He did, oh, he did it. Thing. He did it well. Yeah. It's, well, except for that one line, I swear to God, every fucking time, I, I kind of <laughs> cringe. I cringe. I get uh, 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 douche bumps when I hear it. it. When he's like, don't do that. Like when he said, delivers the <laughs> line. You, made his, you, you just made Doug Bradley sound like he could like, easily go, get to the chopper. Yeah, yeah. it was very much like, don't do that. It was a little <laughs> But that's what it felt like. It was such, I don't know. It's one of my lines where I always giggle at, like every time he says it. 
Oh, I'm Doug Bradley. So quick question about the book. Is it as easy to open the fucking puzzle and solve it in the book as it is in the movie? I, I have that note as well that like pretty much anyone can open this, like accidentally it's just more... know the exact configuration. Get a fucking okay. Rubik's cube, dude. At least those take a while to figure out. <laughs> it's kind of like that. But I got a question for both Marissa and Josh. Maybe a little bit Ooh. of Jackie here, but I know that when I was watching this time around, because I love talking about male things, I couldn't just, I think this is the first time I saw how, again, it has this this like metaphor for that toxic masculinity that we all love to talk about here, which is what I love to talk about, and how Frank represents kind of like the extreme of the alpha Chad, whereas... Um, <laughs> No Julia Stacy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, see, exactly. So, like, the Alpha Chad would be Frank, and then fucking uh, 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 Larry. Larry. Larry is so soy, so beta. Oh, he is such a bitch. He is, he is emotional as fuck. He gets his hand cut by a fucking knife. He's like, I hate the bleed. I... Larry is over-emotional, needs some meat. And, you know, and then we got the Chad, the Frank, is a little bit more, you know, but he's bored. But that's the extreme. We get the extreme of both ends, which like pretty much I feel like is the dichotomy is that females and homosexuals like that Chad style man, that confident, decisive man. Whereas, you know, where uh, Frank is doing stuff, we see Larry watching boxing, watching the masculinity that he strives to be. And then when Frank becomes Larry with Larry's flesh, Larry has a little bit more sexy tone. At that point, what I think expressed on film was that, you know, it's that whole idea that he's trying to portray of just like, hey, you know, women want that guy that's like, will listen to him, but also will like fight another dude in her name. <laughs> it seems as if Julia, throughout the entire film, is at her most content whenever she has the personality of Frank inside of Larry's body because she she's very much a person of memory she's very much a person of cognitive thought we we've seen this throughout the film because she can still have the memory of like this guy that was willing to do everything but I gotta hear Marissa's take up on this part what I always stereotypicalize yeah I just made up that word is that when you're young and fun you want that you know brash bad boy you know who takes hold of you up on your wedding day whatever the fuck you know but as you get older you want that security soft guy, and that's okay. That's what I got uh, from it. Well, that, Zach, that's why we keep you around, because you're both a little a little bit of the bad boy and a little bit of the uh, soft boy. And, uh, <laughs> I am a sensitive douchebag, yes. Yes, <laughs> Wait, that's why we keep you around here at Jersey Bulls. Um, <laughs> fuck, you guys. I don't I don't know. I, I have a lot of feelings about this, but I haven't ironed them out in my own head yet. You guys make a compelling argument. I'll give you that. Well, um, what's but like what's great about it though is that Julia kind of becomes that independent, strong woman that I know you love in part two. Becomes agreed. that powerful agreed. female, but I, I think she has to go go through that drama of part one to get there to part two. Well, one thing that I think uh, Josh said earlier that really resonates is this idea of her victimization and her trauma throughout the film. Um, I think it also dictates her very non like anticlimactic death like her it's almost like perfectly shot because it's like a fucking quick afterthought oh yeah i'm gonna fucking suck her dry too fuck you julia <laughs> after everything she did and after she very much assumed the role of the villain 
in Frank's name. Um, while I think we're underplaying her autonomy in the relationship with Frank, I also agree with you that Larry is the fucking worst. Um, and in <laughs> <Yeah>. fact, <laughs> there's just no denying it. Like, he is, like, literally the opposite. Like, he is, like, just the biggest lady boater killer I think I've ever seen on screen. <laughs> in a minute. Like, yeah. in a minute. And yeah. I agree with you. And I also think, though, that it plays more into an interesting juxtaposition of gender roles in their relationship. <laughs> in their relationship. Because I think that Julia is absolutely wearing the proverbial pants in that relationship. And I think mm -hmm. that Larry's okay with that. And I think that part of what Clive Barker fucks around with a lot in his literature, and admittedly I haven't read this one, but I have read other works of his, he likes to play around with our social norms. Mm -hmm. And I fucking love that shit. Because I, I love that Julia is the fucking strong bitch. I love that she owns the wicked stepmother uh, trope. I like Kirstie as a final girl. I like her as, like, a, a more innocent. I also think, like, to argue the point that she's, like, the kind of innocent sweet girl, she's also, like, getting in with the dude and, like, living on her own because she doesn't fucking like Julia. And I, th I find her very uh, empowering as, like, a female final girl. But I also think that maybe Larry and Julia are better for each other than they ever realized because she's more of the fucking alpha of that relationship. And maybe that's I okay. I would agree with that. I would yeah. agree with that. Because even in her relationship with Frank, right? Which all started with like weird rapey assault that like fucked her up really quickly. Um, you know, it's not until she's in the attic with Frank and she stops and demands an explanation. She says, look, I told you straight up, if I did this shit for you, you would tell me why the fuck I'm doing this. So you tell me, or like, I'll leave you in this fucking attic. Because she holds and, the power during the that time, point, which is great. It's the first time in the film mm -hmm. that you see her kind of just like really taking charge. And from that point forward, she just really doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, she'll just do whatever she wants or whatever she feels that she needs to do. Which is sexy right. because, again, when, uh, when like, Frank was alive, he had the power because it's like, ooh, this is daring. I need you because my life is boring and I want that fun time. But now she's in the driver's seat. He needs her to live again. And she's like, oh, wait, I, I got the keys. Follow my rules, man. Bow down to this. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. And I, it's funny because one of the like quotes that haunts me from doing research on the background of this film is that one of the producers, upon viewing the final product that Barker made, said, well, guess this really goes to show what a woman will go do for a good fuck. And I was like, <laughs> did that's... we miss, like, did we miss everything or is he right? Like, that's the fucking part that plagues me about this. I think it passed the point of good fuck in the middle when Julia realized the power that she actually has around like the middle part of the film. It, it's a more than a fuck is bringing him because uh, he becomes Larry and then it's, then it's a, well, now what, now what is your plan? Are you going to kill more people? Are you guys going to live happily ever after? Which I know that they wanted to do, but that's a little weird with Frank as Larry and wanting his daughter. And can we just discuss Larry and Kirstie being a little bit incesty, like a little creepy. Right? Well, because what do you they mean were a little, well, they, well, because they weren't written uh, in the book, they weren't 
a father and daughter. Father and daughter, right? Yeah, yeah. So like oh, they but, were um, they were like coworkers, I believe. And it's like yeah. almost like was was Larry having a affair because they were really good friends. I'm sorry, but any adult woman that calls her father daddy, it's there's disgusting. just something creepy about an adult calling their father daddy adult women that are willing to call you daddy are the easiest to leave a happy hour with (laughs) (laughs) i got one last note so here we go this will be the musivisual minute i just invented that coin right there but let's talk about that beautiful score by christopher young and uh, i just love how the score matched the small tone of the film itself where it takes place in pretty much one location it's a small setting and it also feels like you're being stuck in you know like obviously stuck in the house like the slow strings moving strings very smooth and slow and then the bells just shout out just like the uh just like you know like how frank is shouting out from the rebirth you get the bells you get the horns you get the strings all coming up at once but then it's very fluid and smooth with them strings going on. Christopher Young did a great job, but with that bigger budget, part two gave, in my opinion, a better bombastic sound when it came to a feeling of a movie. That's why I love when you watch part two, it gives you the last four minutes of this film, then it breaks into this big orchestra of the theme, which fits. I know we're talking about the first film, but I just no, love the second so, film. Sc- me too. Right? You the, can't, the you can't film speak of the first film without amazing. bringing up the second, though. Yeah. Really yeah. yeah, because they belong together. But shout out to Christopher Young. Killed it. He got a start. Obviously, his big first budget film was Elm Street 2, which that score freaked me the fuck out. And then a year later, he did this. And again, freaked me the fuck out. This song, get the soundtrack, vinyl. It's fucking amazing. Zach, you're going to be... You're going to be proud of me. I actually listened to some of the score yes. in preparation. I want to try, you, you guys, I want to try and grow, and I want to try and be able to participate in the conversations we have about music. <laughs> so side note, totally, I totally forgot about this. Oh. Uh, Clive Barker wanted this band called Coil to do the theme song to it. Now, I will post up on uh, the Facebook page, actually, the theme song that was rejected, but it's by Coil. It sounds like an old, um, it reminds me of like a Aw Real Monsters style sound. It's very weird. They're like a punk rock, uh, like experimental. <laughs> it's phenomenal. Coil, uh, and it was released on a album called the Unreleased Hellraiser soundtrack. So, um, Josh, I'm going to bring it back to you, um, and I know the answer, but if you could tell the story um, about being in costume, and I don't remember, you'll have to remind me if it was as Frank or Chatterer when you were at a convention and actually got to meet some of the cast of Hellraiser. I was at this convention, and I had been getting lit as Frank. And I had just finished a conversation that led to me, as Joshua, drinking bourbon with Tony Todd the next day as I was talking to Tony Todd. I'm, I'm completely head to Frank. And I'm wasted in front of a hotel in Jersey. Jersey, <laughs> Jersey, Jersey. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm lit. I need to go up to my room because I want to get more lit, but I want to get lit as Joshua. I don't want to get lit as Frank. And I go, I'm still in full cosplay, mind you. So I go inside. And I'm thinking, okay, the elevators are right over here. This time of day, elevators aren't that busy. I'll be able to get in one right away. Sweet. And like, I'm, I'm tunnel visioned at this point. And I go inside and I press the elevator button door and I back up and 
some random person comes up, oh, hey, Uncle Frank, can I get a photo? Yeah, great. Um, take a photo. As I'm finishing off that photo, we're saying thanks to one another. I'm giving them a card. I'm starting to walk away. I see the elevator door still open. I'm thinking, sweet, I can make it. I get tapped on the shoulder. Can I get a photo? For the first time in my life, I'm thinking, I'm not going to take a photo. But I look, and the lady wants to take a photo with her little kid, little girl. And I'm thinking, any little kid that wants to get a photo with fucking Uncle Frank, like, yes, yes, please. Because this kid lets me know that the shit that I love is in good hands. It's like, okay, bet, yes, absolutely. I'm not looking at the elevators because I'm, I'm down, kneeled down. I've got arm over this girl's shoulder and I'm trying to look kind of creepy because like I want the photo to look like, you know, like, oh, this dude has like a scary face and look at him, no skin. So I get done with that photo. Little girl says thank you and it like warms my fucking heart. And I look over and the elevator door, a different elevator door is open. So I just fucking beeline it. I just go into the elevator. I put my head down. I'm staying in the middle. Somebody just starts laughing to my right. So I'm thinking like, all right, bro, what the fuck's your problem? You know? So I look over and it's fucking Doug Bradley. Keep in mind, I'm head to toe fucking Frank. And in the elevator with him is every other Cenobite. (laughs) (laughs) And they're just like real people. And I'm Uncle Frank. So I literally say out loud of all of the fucking elevators I could have walked into and they all just start fucking peeking out. And I'm just thinking like, I hope that not, I'm thinking to myself, if my floor comes up and the door opens and some of them try to walk out, I'm just staying in the elevator. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not dealing with those, but I had been chatting uh, with uh, Nicholas Fence. And I was like, hey, I've, I've got my Chatterer costume. You've seen stuff of it. You've commented on it. You have shared it on your personal social networking, all that. I want you to see this in person. And he was just kind of like, okay, cool. Like, you know, because we were chatting about the elevator incident. And he was, I was like, dude, I'm really sorry. Like, I felt like mad. So I'm still like stoned and drunk. I'm back in my hotel room. And I'm just like sending a message on Messenger being like, I'm really sorry, bro. <laughs> and uh, he was like, oh, no, it was perfect timing, all that. And I was like, hey, you know, I want to show you this costume. And he was like, yeah, you know, we'll just come down to my table. I'm like, okay, cool. So the next day, randomly, I was just like, all right, fuck it. I get in Chatterer. I get in character. I go down. I go through plethoras of fucking people. I get tons of photos done. I go over to his table and literally he's in the middle, Nicholas Fence, signing an autograph. And he sees me on my full chatterer and he stops signing and puts down the pen. And the person that paid for the fucking autograph and paid to meet him is just kind of looking like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> and he just stops and walks past this little line, like four or five people he has in line and walks over to me and says, Joshua, this is amazing. And hands his phone over to his handler. And it's like, can you please take a photo of Joshua and I together? And I was just like, <laughs> like you have to be kidding me. Like, you know, it's like, like this is so fun, cool. Also a big shout out to a nameless artist. He made that Chatterer mask. Oh, and he awesome. is by far one of the most insanely talented and caring and just beautiful individuals i've ever had the pleasure hmm. 
of encountering. If you want to check me out, show some equal love, and at least go look at a nameless artist. He is the, one of the most talented artists I have ever come across in my entire life. If I, I'd put it this way as a final note. If I want a billion dollars tomorrow, I would offer him $100 million to just take care of his kids and do nothing but sculpt the rest of his life. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely have to check him out again uh, on Instagram at Joshua Does Cosplay. If you can, you know, we're not going to ask you to reveal, you know, any upcoming characters because I know you said you like to debut, but can you at least give us an idea of what upcoming conventions you're going to be at? So if our listeners happen to be there and they see a tall strapping gentleman in costume, mm. they can walk and say hi. So I am going to be in Pittsburgh at Horror Realm. Uh, I believe that's in March. I'm looking at chiller um and a few others uh the most important convention of the year in my eyes is pop rock and horror too that's going to be in gettysburg pa and it's going to be phenomenal oh, yeah um aside from that i have unveiled it because over my story not over posts i'm kind of just letting mm -hmm. this progress but i'm building head to toe pumpkin head I'm yes. standing a little over seven feet tall, um, thanks to some hand-built uh, digi-degrade stilts, and that'll be phenomenal. I have two other characters. Uh, one's a lead. One could be considered a lead. Um, the one that could be considered a lead is a vampire, and he makes everyone cream. Watch my story. My story is where I post most of my updates. Joshua, thank you so, so much for coming on, for, you know, enlightening us in, in the cosplay world and what you do, uh, for just shooting the shit and talking Hellraiser with us. We could not uh, have picked a better person to join us. Zach, as always, thank you so, so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was fucking awesome. Just want to thank you for tolerating me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 ever since I met Jersey Ghouls, I, I was like super pumped. Like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I want to be on one of your podcasts, like really bad. Cause like, I've heard of you before I came here and like, okay, mm -hmm. you know, like, I, I could have a chance of that. So it's like trying to like fly in almost like, you know, TGI Friday's happy hour. Like, oh, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. um, it's like, yeah, you know, I want to, uh, I want to get on one of these podcasts. So like, yeah. thank you for just listening to me and having me and honestly for giving me a reason to leave the office half an hour yeah. early. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, thanks for being on, man. It's really starstruck to be on, uh, to have you on and to kind of be able to promote the shit out of Josh Does Cosplay and all of your good shit because it is fucking mind-numbingly good what you do, man. <laughs> yeah, so uh, thank you for tuning in and listening to our Hellraiser episode. Uh, don't forget to check us out on the internet. You can find us on all the socials, on all the podcast apps. Like it, love it, do the thing, talk to us, we'll talk to you, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Peace. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.